Hey everyone, welcome to Outside the Walls. My name is John White. I'm Casey McDonald. And today we are joined by Luke Dockery. Luke is the youth minister over at the Cloverdale Church of Christ and also the author of Youth in Family Ministry, uh, a handbook, and uh, has been in youth ministry for 15 years now. Welcome, Luke. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. Glad to be with you today. Now, I, I was wondering if you were getting uh, upset because we had Carl <laughs> and and uh, Philip on the show. I was like, well, when's my turn? Yeah, I mean, I was offended, but I, I, I wasn't going to bring it up, but you did. So. <laughs> Trust me, you were on the list. You were on the list. <laughs> oh. So, um, Luke, you definitely, you've been a youth minister at Cloverdale. You, you started um, like just before the pandemic. Uh, June of 19, so it's been almost two years. So I was here for about six months or so, and then the world broke. Um, and we all had to like reinvent everything that we did. Yeah, so it was fun. So what was that like for you to kind of only have about six months or so to, to get used to youth ministry and, and be in a new position, and then all of a sudden COVID hit? Like what what... Walk me through that process. What did that feel like? Yeah, I mean, it's been challenging because we were very much kind of like in the honeymoon phase where like you're trying to get to know people um, and still forming relationships with teenagers and things like that. And uh, COVID so greatly put a halt to a lot of that. Um, so that was challenging. It was also challenging from a standpoint of, and I mean, we'll, we'll talk about some of this. It was kind of a a youth ministry philosophy that they were familiar with and very much interested in, but it's really a culture shift and that just takes a long time. And there's not a lot of that that you can do over Zoom or, you know, when things are shut down. And so it really, for me, it's like, I kind of felt like I was making some strides that then had to stop and then kind of start again. Um, so that's that's part of it, but uh, it's been, I mean, it's been really good. Like I, I enjoy uh, I enjoy where we are. Um, I know other youth ministers who got a job in the middle of the pandemic. And mm. It's like I can't even imagine that. So it's like at least I had six months, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I heard the same same thing. My my intern from a couple summers ago landed a new gig in the middle of all that, and I was like, I don't even know how you yeah. would do that. Yeah. Zoom first time meeting everyone. <laughs> yeah. No. It'd be, yeah. It'd be, it'd be so. I can't even. I really can't imagine. It would be really tough. So I'm I'm thankful that that wasn't my situation, and I'm also glad to kind of be slowly emerging on this side of it and being able to get back together and do the things that that we're actually trained to do rather than like trying to reinvent everything uh, mm -hmm. during the pandemic which is what i felt like a lot of us were trying to do yeah, yeah. well we mentioned your book tell us the significance of the title because you hear it and you think youth and family ministry but you know it seems very intentional that it is youth and family yeah ministry. so that's the first thing i always say is it's not a typo like oh <laughs> i just put the wrong thing and they printed them so we have to we have to make something up now right uh yeah no so it's it's kind of a small change but uh i do think it's significant so youth and family versus youth in family the traditional thing you hear is youth and family um, I don't want to give the impression that youth ministry and family ministry are two separate things connected by an and. Instead, I want to focus on ministering to young people in the context of family. Um, and by that, uh, by family, I mean two different aspects. One is the physical families of students, moms and dads, siblings, grandparents. Uh, but secondly, also the faith family, the, the local congregation. So what that means is we want to help uh, encourage and equip parents to be the primary disciplers of their own children. But also, as much as possible, we want to connect our students to the larger uh, body of the, the local congregation. We want to establish meaningful relationships between our students and older, mature adults in the church. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of the, the idea behind youth in family. I um, mean, that's, that's actually my official title at Cloverdale. I'm the youth in family minister, which is a little bit unwieldy. Like, I, I just, I'm a youth minister is what I tell people. But when they ask me, I'm like, well, actually, they have this special title for me. And that, that's what it is. And that's what it means. And it's not a typo. Yeah. So walk us through a little bit. Uh, you mentioned this. It's, it's a very big paradigm shift. Um, but let's start from the, the beginning. Like, you've been in youth ministry for 15 years. What kind of brought you to this place where you thought maybe this isn't working well and maybe eventually led to you wanting to write a book about it. Uh, walk us through that. Where, do, where How do you yeah. get to that place? And what are some of the significant things that you kind of see as maybe problems or, or difficulties in youth and family ministry versus youth in family ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
Um, I was actually not trained as a youth minister. I, I came to Harding. I was a Harding graduate, but I was not a, youth, a Bible major or a youth ministry major. Um, it was just one of these things where kind of in hindsight, you can kind of see providentially how God opens doors and closes other doors. And so I ended up as a youth minister, but that was not my intention. And so I was clueless. I mean, like I'm in this job and it's like I, I had been in youth ministry. I had mentors who were youth ministers. And so I was just trying to do things. A couple of years in, I started to get uh, very concerned by a trend I was noticing and reading about a lot, which was just a ton of our students who are active in, in church life, active in youth ministry, make a faith commitment to Christ, walk away from their faith after they graduate from high school. Mm. And this is something that I was noticing at my congregation, but it was uh, also other congregations that we would, would get together and have like combined events with. And then I started reading and it's like, okay, this is, this is a widespread problem that everyone mm. is experiencing. And so I wanted to, I wanted to address that. Like that, I wasn't just okay with that. Um, you can read different studies and they're all over the place, but like kind of a good estimate is like 40 to 50% of our young people are leaving faith behind, or at least leaving any sort of connection to the church behind after they graduate from high school. That's, that's before COVID. Who knows what it's going to look like on the other side of the pandemic. Um, so I wanted to address this problem. Um, about the same time, I went into grad school at uh, HST, mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't really there weren't there wasn't like a class on youth ministry there, but we had all these papers and projects that we did, and so I was able to kind of leverage assignments to do research on stuff that applied to youth ministry. And um, around the same time, I read a book called Sticky Faith, mm-hmm. uh, which a lot of people will be familiar with, um, and it it kind of very much is about having helping to disciple, um, helping parents to disciple young people at home. Um, and then also there's a little bit in there about also trying to build connections uh, with the, the, the church. And so I just, I did a bunch of research to start off as a couple of papers and things like that. And it, then it became like a ministry plan and it just kind of grew and grew. And eventually it was like, I should share this with people. And it's not mm. like, this is not really original research. It's very derivative based on what other people are doing but it was still not something that I was seeing a lot of the people I knew do. Um, so that's kind of how it came about, and it was very much um, in response to the problem of young people, so many of them walking away from faith after high school, and uh, the way in which, unfortunately, some of our traditional youth ministry practices, which are intended to help teenagers, right, might actually be aggravating the problem. And so if there's a way in which we could shift our youth ministry culture um, to reflect both biblical principles, but also like what research is indicating is effective, then we should do that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what the book's about, and it's what my efforts have been about for the last uh, several years. Would, would you mind sharing a few examples that you've seen of things that we think might be helping but might actually be pushing them away? Yeah, so... Um, Maybe I could just talk a little bit about kind of a stereotypical traditional youth ministry model, um, which uh, is very centered on the youth minister. Uh, we try to uh, ideally find someone who is young, uh, has a great personality, very engaging, who can interact well with students, uh, even better if he's like, you know, handsome and athletic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like he can. I don't know how I got my job. <laughs> right, same. Um, uh, you know, if he can, if he can, you know, play sports with the guys, you know, like strum his guitar for the girls, you know, like what, like you know, like really interact well with with all sorts of people. Uh, if he's a gamer, great, he can he can reach out to that that core segment as well. Of course, we want him to be um, a good Bible teacher. We want him to be a good uh, spiritual role model. Mm-hmm. Um, good at planning events because events are a really big deal, and so kind of like all of these things. Um, and so it's someone who's very skilled, very capable. The whole ministry can revolve around him, and we can basically outsource the task of the spiritual formation of our students to this expert. Um, and so all of this is with the best intentions. We're trying to keep our kids um, engaged in church life and what's going on. Um, the problems with this, there are a lot of problems with this. Um, one is that person I just described doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to find that person. That's a tall order. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Um, secondly, there are a lot of people who have are, are really skilled 
and will work really hard. And it absolutely is consuming and it burns them out. And so part of the reason why uh, you've got a, we've got a lot of youth ministers who are really excited out of college and two years later, they're like looking to sell insurance um, because it just kind of burns them up. Um, so that's problematic. It's also problematic from the standpoint that um, it easily becomes entertainment. Like, in, like we're trying to engage students, and so like we want to give them what they want. It's like, I want to eat Twinkies all the time, but it's not good for me, right? <laughs> and so it's like, uh, just because it's something that we like or it, inter- it engages us in a certain sense doesn't mean that it's what's best or what's healthy. And so I, I don't think it's always best in that regard. But also what, what tends to happen is, um, and I talk about this a lot in the book, but we have this problem of age segregation where very, and this is a societal issue, but it's one that's reflected in the church where it's just very easy to take our young students and stick them together away from everyone else. And we put the expert over them and he's going to keep them entertained and engaged and uh, he's going to, we're just going to trust him to handle it. That's unfortunate for multiple reasons. Um, age segregation is, is a big problem. It has developmental problems. Um, I think it's specifically tied to this societal issue that we're witnessing now of uh, prolonged or delayed a- adolescence. Um, but also, it's not what the Bible teaches. Um, in Scripture, what we see over and over again is that two groups are given the task of passing faith on to the next generation, the physical family, um, moms and dads and grandparents, um, and then the faith family, whether in the Old Testament we're talking about the, the people of Israel or in the New Testament we're talking about the church. Um, so these are the two groups. And at the point that you bring in someone to be kind of like this surrogate spiritual parent, that's not either of those two groups. Um, and so, uh, so I mean, we, we could talk about traditional youth ministry practices, some of which we do, by the way. So, like, I'm not condemning these things. But, like, yeah. you just think about churches that, that you've been a part of or that you're familiar with. Um, at a young age, from a young age, we separate kids into age cohorts. and They'll go to Bible class with those cohorts throughout their time, and they'll be taught by, like, an adult or an assortment of adults over time. Um, as kids get older... Uh, a youth minister, we want to make sure we have a youth minister hired. He can take care of them. That way parents don't need to or have to. He'll kind of make sure that they're taught what they need to be taught. He'll take them on trips and entertain them. Uh, we also have things like a special, uh, at some churches, like a special youth building that might be mm-hmm. literally not connected to the other building. And so that you'll, you'll have class in the youth building separated from everyone else. Um, maybe on Sunday nights, uh, if there's... If there's a small group ministry, maybe there'll be a specific small group ministry just for teens where they can be around one another and their peers and they can sing the songs they like and have a meal and, you know, have a, have a lesson on their level. Um, that's assuming, though, that that's a weekend that you're in town because uh, like a, a huge priority, um, a huge priority of the youth ministry might be we're going to travel as often as possible because like mm. it's hard to keep teens excited about regular church. So mm. let's let's go to places where it's super amped up and there's all sorts of excitement. Um, and, you know, maybe on Wednesday nights uh, you'll have a special youth group class in the special youth group building and students will be dropped off and maybe like they'll never even interact with any adults the whole time other than the youth minister or the youth ministry staff. Um on Sunday mornings, like when you're kids, maybe um, you'll have uh, – it's, it's difficult for little kids to pay attention in worship or to get a lot out of it. So you'll have a special children's worship um, where we'll remove our kids from the context of the whole body and they'll have a special worship. And that way also parents don't have to be bothered by taking care of their kids mm. during worship. So again, I'm not condemning any of these practices. But what happens when you take all of these practices and you combine them over time year after year after year? By the time kids are 18 and they graduate from high school, they may have spent many hours at church. They may have spent many hours doing youth group activities, but they've actually had very little meaningful interaction with the church as a whole. And in light of that, it's not a huge surprise that they're leaving church Mm. because they were never really a part of the church to begin with. They were part of a youth group, and now they're leaving the youth group and where, where do I go next? Because I, in no way have I been connected to or been prepared uh, to, to, to fit into this larger body. Um, so that's kind of some, some traditional youth ministry practices that tend to lead towards age segregation 
And, and we do this again. It's not like people are like, ah, what can we do to ruin the faith of our kids? It's just the opposite. It's like, what can we do to keep our kids happy? What can mm-hmm. we do to keep them engaged? What can we do? I mean, I'm just a parent. I don't know. Like this youth minister, like he's the expert. And um, so I think these are things that are, have been done with the best of intentions. But what we're seeing is the fruit of these things, which is not great. And so is there a better way? Is there a more biblical way? Does research indicate a different way? And my answer is yes. Yeah. And I think anybody that's been in youth ministry or volunteered with a, a youth ministry for any amount of time would probably tell you, like, to think about the spiritual faith of your children being lopped into this guy's lap and he really is only seeing them for maybe a handful of hours a week if that uh versus say a parent where you're with them every day i mean you're you're eating meals with them every day you're a part of every aspect of their life i mean to suggest that we can even outsource that successfully in any way i mean it it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to approach it that way right yeah so i mean research over and over indicates that parents are the primary spiritual influences on their more so than a youth minister, more so than peers, more so than any group. Parents are the primary spiritual influencers of their kids. So it's really wrongheaded for us to try to deny that reality. Mm. And especially, um, and it's like, I'm not knocking young guys, but like to take our most precious resource, our kids, and often to be like, hey, you're 22. <laughs> Probably you know what to do with with you know with, with with these kids at like a really crucial developmental time in their lives when they're going through all sorts of stuff that you yourself haven't fully processed yet because it happened for you four years ago right. <laughs> you know um, and so it's just like sometimes you pause and you think and you're like what in the world are we thinking um, and that's not a, that's not a knock on young youth ministers it's oh. like the, it's but it's like it's a knock on the whole paradigm that thinks that somehow it makes sense to turn this over to a, to anyone, but especially someone at, at a super young age. But having said that, like I'm 37, I don't want that responsibility either. It's like exactly. my responsibility is is my kids, and it's like I'm going to help. Um, I, I want to help other parents disciple their own kids. I want to help facilitate relationships between our students and Christian adults who are mature and can help lead them to maturity. But I don't want to become the surrogate spiritual parent mm. um, for students. Not because I don't love them, but because I love them, and I know that that's a bad idea. Yeah. It's, it's accepting a responsibility that isn't God given or right. isn't what what's best for them. Uh, right. You say that now. I think about twenty four year old me. I'm like, man, I was a bonehead. Like I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I had all this training, and and yeah. now I'm suddenly you know in charge of this youth ministry. Uh, but you know, you kind of you navigate that as you go through the job. I think. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to address too, though. I can hear every parent right now going, yeah, but my kids don't want to hang out with me. Yeah. Like part of the, the adolescent stage is this increasing sense of autonomy, right? And so th- every parent's going, my kids don't want to be around me. My kids don't like, what am I supposed to do? Because I might even try being the spiritual mentor, even if they, if I built up the willpower to want to want to do that, you know, I take up that mantle and I see it as, as a responsibility of mine. I'm increasingly finding a person living in my house that doesn't want to live with me. <laughs> and and they definitely enjoy hanging out with this guy and going right. to, to, to youth ministry and being with their peers. And so that's a that's a positive thing. Um, so how do you kind of wrestle with that within this this paradigm? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that is that is a point of pushback that you get sometimes. Um, so a couple of different ways, like part of it is it's about culture. And so it's one thing if you're coming in a place where there's this traditional youth ministry culture and you're trying to shift it because anytime you try to change culture, there's going to be resistance and there's going to be problems and it's going to take time. Um, But it's different. And like, for example, at my previous congregation, we worked on this gradually over several years. And there was a difference in the pushback I would get initially versus the pushback I got years later. The point that it's a part of your culture, it's like, it's just the way we do it here. Um, mm. And so there might be certain aspects where it's like, oh, you don't really like having your parents in this class with you? Hmm, tough. <laughs> like, it just, I mean, and like, I, I say that, but it's just kind of like, well, that's just what we do. Mm. And it's like, and it's, it's also, we're not doing it without telling them why we're doing it. Um, so it's like, you know, I, I understand that maybe it's not your favorite to have your parents with you in this class. And I do appreciate your feelings on that. But more than I'm concerned about your feelings about right now, I'm concerned about your faith 20 years from now. Mm. Um, and, you know, some students will get that and some don't. But, like, they, generally speaking, people, if they understand where we're coming from, they're more willing to give us a shot. So that's one thing. Um, another thing I would say is just 
parents, good parents, do things for their kids all the time that their kids don't want, but that they know is, is good for them. I'm, like we have a four-year-old son who doesn't particularly want to eat most of his vegetables, but he really likes dessert. But that doesn't mean that we just let him never eat vegetables and have as much dessert as he wants to. I mean, to be frank, I don't like to eat vegetables and I want to eat dessert, you know, but it's like, and, and I'm an adult, so I can do that. But like, I know that's not what's best for me. And on my good days, I, I do what's best for me, you know? Um, so I, I think part of it is also just this understanding of like, look, I, I get that maybe it's not always what you want, but is it what's best for them? And I think for, for most parents, if they can truly be convinced that this is what's best for them, then they're willing to, to make an effort. And then another thing I would say is um, some people hear what I say and they assume that like we don't have a youth group or we don't do any sorts of traditional youth ministry things, but we do. Um, we just want to be thoughtful about which things we do and, you know, are they are they purposeful? But like, you know, we we – we have Bible class at Cloverdale based on age. Like we don't actually bring four-year-olds into the auditorium to talk about Song of Solomon, you know, or Leviticus. <laughs> like we don't think that's the best way to teach them, you know. And so, and it's like we have a youth group. We have um, we we go on trips and things like that. Um, we do have Bible classes sometimes where our parents are in there with our students, but that's not our common practice all the time. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is it's not like it's a total abandonment of. Well, in our youth ministry, it's going to be you and your mom all the time. Like that's that's not what we do. Mm. But what we are trying to do is we're trying to change just kind of the whole perspective of what can we do to help equip parents to disciple their own kids. Um, and, and so it's it's not like an all or nothing approach, but it's just kind of tweaking the things that we do to make them more about um, how can we uh, how can we leverage the influence of parents? How can we uh, enhance relationships between students and adults in our congregation. Um, but it's not like, well, all the things that you used to like, taking them all off the table. They're gone. Yeah, right. <laughs> As anyone can tell you, that's probably not going to turn out well yeah, if you just right. say, all right, well, now we're doing it all this way. Right, right. Forget everything you know, right? Right. And the youth is still in the youth in family part of it. it so is, there's, yeah. there's still this need for a little bit of like, Hey, this is a, this is a peer only thing. Like it, right. that's okay. Um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're ministering to youth so that like there's, contextualization there, like in the way that you present messages and the, the things that you do. I mean, uh, I, I said that parents are the primary spiritual influences of, of their kids, and that's true. As kids become teenagers, though, like that num- that pr- that goes down and peer influence goes up. So absolutely, we want to create environments where they're, they're developing relationships with peers who will help encourage one another uh, to follow Jesus, right? And so absolutely, there's value in that. So there's, there's a balance there. But at the end of the day, it is kind of like if, if we can establish that we think this is what's best, then generally parents are willing to, to make some sacrifices to do what they believe is best for their kids. And one other thing I'll, I'll throw out, uh, one of the things I love about our fellowship in Churches of Christ is that generally speaking, if you can convince someone this is what the Bible teaches, then they will go a long way with you. Hmm. And so for me personally, I've had a lot of success in being like, well, let's just look at what Scripture says. Like, let's look at um, who is given the task of passing faith on to the next generation in the Bible. And at the point that we do that, it kind of is like, okay, so how do we do it? And, and so there's not so much pushback on, well, we don't like this, and more it's like, okay, so let's, I guess we, this is the thing. This is the divinely given task. So how do we, how do we go about doing that? You had mentioned whenever you started at Cloverdale that you have this very specific title, if somebody cares to know what that title is. Was that something that uh, you kind of presented or was that some kind of a vision that they had bringing you in? How, how What was the evolution yeah, of that? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I won't go into the whole backstory, but basically it's like they had, they had looked for a youth minister previously, um, a, a, few, a couple years before. And as part of that, they kind of wanted to reevaluate their entire process and or, or their entire philosophy of youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they'd kind of become aware of some of my stuff. And, and we had some conversations at that point. Um, I, I didn't become the youth minister, but they were really interested in this sort of thinking. And so they kind of adopted the philosophy and the title like a couple of years before. Mm. Uh, and then... Uh, the the person whose place I took, uh, he's a great guy, uh, mm. actually one of our elders now. 
he transitioned to another role, which was just kind of like this uh, kind of a dream job for him. And so then they came back to me and it was very much like, so we're trying to do this thing that you want to do. <laughs> Would you like to come do it here? Um, so, sort of thing. And so I, I walked in and the title was already there, but it, it was based on some previous conversations. So one of the things that's been great, like I haven't dealt with a lot of resistance um, in my context, because at least for a lot of them, there was buy-in like, this is the sort of thing we would like to do. How do we do it? Um, so I've, I haven't had a lot of pushback um, in my context, partially because uh, the ground has already been somewhat plowed, and mm. uh, Keith took some of those hits for me, honestly. Yeah. Keith is such a great dude. I love Keith so He's much. He's awesome, yeah. So uh, let's say uh, you're a youth minister out there listening and, you know, you're thinking, yeah, I've, I've been feeling this ever since I was hired. You know, I, I'm, I'm on board. I've seen the stats. I know it, too. Like, but I'm, I'm trying to sort through how do I get my, my parents on board with this idea? How do I get my, my staff and, and leadership on board with this idea to kind of understand that we need to shift some things that we're doing to better reflect uh, the needs of the actual needs of teenagers? Right. Um, that's a great question. Uh, so I don't want to be this guy. I do lay out a process in this book. Um, but no, seriously. So, uh, there's a, there is a section in the book that's all about kind of the practical steps, mm -hmm. um, which might not be like a perfect blueprint, but it's, it's what I did and it was somewhat successful. So like you, you want to do things like you want to get everyone on board with a vision. Um, so you want to first kind of share the research and the, the biblical case uh, which I kind of lay out in, in this book, but is available in a lot of places. Uh, you want to kind of share that with key leaders. So if you're a youth minister, you want to, you know, you want to talk to your preaching minister, you want to talk to elders. If you have youth deacons, you want to get them on board. Um, one of the best things that I did, and I wish I would have done this earlier on at Farmington, my previous congregation, I did it pretty early on at Cloverdale. I just preached about it. Um, I got up and I had a, I have a sermon called Youth and Family Ministry. It's basically just laying out the vision and it's it's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of of the book, just like, hey, this is this is the problem that we're seeing in youth ministry. Um, here is what Scripture teaches. Here's what research says, and here are some principles that we want to take and apply to our youth ministry. And so, that's been very well received uh, when I've done that in the past. Um, and I say, like, I was at Farmington long enough. I did it twice, like same sermon, because it's if, if this is a core statement of what we're about, people need to be reminded of it. Mm. Um, and I'll, I'll do it again at Cloverdale at some point. Um, so that was, that was helpful. And then um, it's also kind of about looking at what are the things that we as a church do already? We don't want to scrap everything. We don't want to reinvent the wheel. But like what are the things that we're doing that we could just maybe tweak a little bit and bring them more in line with what we're doing? So, for example, if you have like church work days or church or like days where you have like service projects, instead of – like, all right, we're all going to be out here using chainsaws and power tools. And it's like, okay, well, I guess my six-year-old can't come. Um, and so I've either got to find babysitting or like, you know, like one of us will go and like, you know, a dad will go and mom will stay home with the kids or whatever. And so what we're doing is we're actually splitting up families in order to serve the church. What if instead we just were a little bit creative and came up with some stuff that everyone can be involved in so we can come as a family and be a part of our church family doing kingdom work, right? Um, and that's just one example, but there's a lot of stuff like that where if we're just creative and thoughtful, it's like, how can we make this a more family-friendly sort of thing to where we're not, we're not sending the message that, hey, if you want to get involved in the work of the church, you're going to have to find a babysitter. <laughs> um, but rather like the, the, the community of faith is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to serve the church, bring your family because they're a part of our family and there'll be something meaningful for them here. And that takes some more work. Like it, it, it can be harder to do that, but it's also better and more meaningful because over time um, you have kids who are raised to believe I'm a part of the work of the church now and, and I, get to, I get to be a part of this. Uh, service projects are not just something that I do in the summers in youth ministry, um, not, you know, not connected to my parents or other adults. Well, I understand that you are a very avid reader. Uh, I follow your blog, which you want to you want to put a little plug out there for your blog. A uh, very uh, avid writer I, as well. I have a I have a blog, um, LukeDockery.com, and I write about youth ministry and theology and just all sorts of uh, kind of random stuff. Uh, it's I just say it's kind of like a journal where I kind of process my thoughts. 
out loud for people. But uh, but yeah, for sure, I, I like to. That's something I enjoy doing. Um, I do like to read a lot, though. What were you saying about that? Any particular books that uh, stand out to you within the last few months that you've been diving into that uh, that has really risen to the surface about youth ministry? No, just about in anything. general. Yeah. Oh. Oh, this, I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> a favorite, a favorite book that you've read maybe in the last okay, year. Okay, you know I got it. I've got it. I've got. It. Um, so there's a book called Endangered Gospel. Subtitle: How Fixing the World Is Killing the Church, uh, by John Nugent. Um, and it's a really good, challenging read. One of the more kind of paradigm shifting books for me. But uh, his his basic thesis is that we have a lot of Christians who are very concerned about people in the world. And so we're doing a lot of work to try to fix the problems of the world. But biblically, um, our task is not to try to make the world a better place, but to be kingdom people, to be uh, agents of new creation. And in a real sense, we're not trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to be the better place that God is going to make the world into. Um, and so our task should be just very much more, it's, it's not that we're uh, not interested in the world around us, it's because we're so interested in the world around us, we want to do things the way that God has told us to do them, which is we want to live as the church in, in a new kind of way that is, is light and salt in a dark and decaying world uh, that is attractive to the world around us. Um, really good. He goes into a, a lot of depth and, and looks at that in a lot of different ways and contexts, but it has obvious implications for the way that those of us who are in church ministry, like we're trying to figure out, like, how can we love our community? How can we impact those around us? Um, and the answer, according to Nugent, is, well, we do it the way that God tells us to do it. Um, it's, somewhat, it's somewhat arrogant for us to think that we have a better plan than God does. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to look at the plan in Scripture and, uh, boy, Really good, really challenging for me. I mean, because there's a lot of stuff that at, at first I'm like kind of bristling when I'm reading this, and but <laughs> but it's it's heavily heavily biblical. Uh, he he just kind of walks through the story of Scripture and, and kind of looks at like competing visions of what the Bible is about and and our our place in that story. Um, but really offers a compelling vision for what we're supposed to be. So that's been really challenging for me, and it's been awesome as I just try to. It really is kind of paradigm shifting. Like, okay, I have to reevaluate like all the things. Like, am I trying to fix the world, or am I trying to be like a, a part of God's new creation that He's going to make, you know, all things new? Um, and it's not my job to make that happen. It's my job to to live into the reality that Jesus's resurrection brings about, mm. and that's a compelling reality for folks. So, I would highly recommend that one. Uh, that's really good. And one other book that I would plug, especially, I mean, especially for those in youth ministry, but but any anyone really, uh, Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. It's about uh, trans issues, uh, but he writes, uh, it just came out this year. Um, he writes with a lot of pastoral sensitivity. Um, he's very, very concerned about what scripture teaches about sexuality and, and gender and, and things like this, uh, but really, it's a really good opening read for those of us who find ourselves in a world that we're not quite sure what we're supposed to do here. Mm-hmm. So that is a really helpful read for me. And increasingly, that's just something that we all need to be better versed in because it's the reality of our world. Yeah. So those are a couple of books that I would recommend. They've been really good awesome. for me. Yeah. So I did have one follow-up question to something you were saying earlier. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times when we start to talk about family, you know, the, for those of you that don't know, the, the, the core, you know, reason that youth ministry even as a movement came about is because we've got these churches that say, well, we've got all these kids are here. Some of them are, are, you know, kids that belong to families at the church. And some of them are kids that are just kind of interested in church. Like, why not start to do something unique for them and, right. and, and tend to that? And so we've, we've got this group of kids that they don't have family here. They don't have parents here. Um, so maybe another kind of a follow up question I'd love for you to address is, what do you do when, yeah, you, you've got maybe 60, 70% of your youth group is th- their whole family attends here, or at least part of their family attends at the church that you're at, but you've also got friends of those kids. You've got kids who have just latched on in some way and are, and are here and, you know, you're, their, their family's not involved in faith at all. 
And so how do you kind of, when you're thinking through what we want to do as a youth ministry to impact every kid, how do we handle the fact that some of them are not going to have an actual biological family as a part of that experience and what needs to change to kind of fit that, uh, that issue? Yeah. So that's a great question. So a lot of times when you hear people talk about family ministry, um, they're really focusing on physical families and equipping parents. And that's great. That's like half of my model. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of times it's, that's the whole thing, but that really leaves out people who don't have those mentors at home. So that's why it's really important to leverage the faith family as well. And so um, in a traditional youth ministry setting, what you're doing is you're basically like, well, latch onto this youth leader, you know, latch onto this youth minister and hopefully he can step in. And, and certainly like that's, that's going to be a, I'm not saying that youth ministers will not be spiritual influences in kids. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm no. just saying we don't want to take the place of parents. Um, so first off, we have to be somewhat realistic, knowing that pr- parents are the primary spiritual influences of their influencers of their kids. Kids that don't have that at home, it's, it's going to be harder for them. And like, I hate that. Like there, there are kids and I, I know there's kids that you've had that you've poured into and, and it's like, there is literally nothing more that you can do. And it just seems like it doesn't matter. Um, so it's like, we just have to acknowledge the reality that it's going to be harder with those kids, but that's all the more reason why we really want to, if they don't have spiritual examples at home, we really want to provide them with as many spiritual examples and influences as we can in the church. And so uh, trying to structure youth ministry to where we're intentionally cultivating relationships between kids, whether they are, uh, whether they have uh, faithful parents or not, is really important. So like one thing that we do, and and this is an example of something that I'm, I'm just now starting because of the pandemic. Um, but we started back at the beginning of this semester having cell groups on Wednesday nights. Uh, so basically our, our model is we have like a short lesson where we're all together and then we split up into groups that are led, like smaller groups that are led by adults from our con- congregation. Um, and they, they meet with them every week. They'll hopefully like, you know, be texting them outside of time. Uh, when there's not a pandemic going on, they'll go to their ball games. They'll have special little events just for their cell groups. And what happens over time is these are really meaningful people in their lives. And that's something that's available to anyone, whether it's, you know, whether they have a, a really good spiritual foundation at home or not. So that's one thing that we're doing that's really important. And, and, and part of that also is uh, as a youth minister, um, if I've got 40 kids in my youth group or 100 kids in my youth group, um, even 20 kids in my youth group, mm. I can't have meaningful, deep relationships with all of them. It's just not possible. Even if they wanted to, it's, it's not possible. Um, but if I've got cell groups of, you know, eight to 10 kids with three leaders in each of them, that's more manageable. Where, where they can have meaningful relationship with them. And also, I, th- I think partially there's kind of a, a triage situation where it's like if I'm a cell group leader and I've got eight kids uh, and in a, in a place like Searcy, I'm l- looking out at my, my kids and I'm like, okay, the two of you, you have dads who are elders and the two of you have dads who are Bible professors at Harding. Probably I can safely assume that you're getting some spiritual training, uh, yeah. you know, in your family. It doesn't mean that I, I don't want a relationship with you, but on the other hand, here's someone who's just a friend who's coming, who I don't know anything about your, your family background, or if I do, I know that it's perhaps not great. So I'm going to focus extra attention on this kid, knowing that, uh, so I call them in the book, I call faith family and physical family the twin pillars of this model. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like for those kids who we know they've got a rock solid uh, physical family pillar, all the more reason to really pour into that, the faith family side. Um, and, and then kind of vice versa, like for, for other kids who that, that, uh, the, the, the physical family is really weak. We really want to help them out in that, in the other way. So, um, so yeah, I think that's part of it. It's like, if, if we know that we can't get the, the parents on board, then what we want to do is give them as many role models and relationships with mature Christians who will help lead them to maturity themselves as we can. And then of course, always the hope is that maybe through the kids, you can also reach the parents. Hmm. Um, in my experience, that is statistically less likely 
I mean, there's a lot of parents who are like, yeah, I'm willing for you to take my kids and, you know, take care of them for a couple hours a week, but I'm fine, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but ultimately that, you know, that would obviously be the goal. And so sometimes, you know, you can establish a relationship with parents because you're establishing a relationship with their kids. Yeah. Well, I guess we could, we could go ahead and say this, uh, little, um, public service announcement for every person listening to this, that's just a member of your church. And you're like, how do I even get involved in something like this? Like, I don't even know if my youth minister buys into this or this idea, but I I will say this, having been in youth ministry now for almost my 12th year, um, starting my 12th year in August, there's never been a time where I thought, no, I don't need your help. (laughs) Never. Like I've never had that thought process before. Anytime someone's come to me and said, Hey, I'd I'd love to volunteer. I'd love to help out. Like, I'm like, yes, you know, here's, here's 15 things that I need help with. Like every youth minister everywhere, um, even outside of like a family centric model is needing help. But especially it seems like in this, what you're talking about, it's like, we need you to come in. We need you to say this and, and to stop thinking about things like, well, you know, I'm, I'm not like in my thirties and, and still kind of young. It's like, no, it doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, it doesn't matter what your, your background is, your experiences are like everybody has a voice and everybody has that potential to reach out and, and be able to reach into the life of a specific kid. Yeah. And it's just like you were right. saying earlier, not a youth minister is not going to be able to appeal to every single person there, right? That's just the way it is statistically, right? So we need people to come in and say, I care enough about kids in general to just be somewhere where I can interact with them and uh, and volunteer to be a part of this sort of spiritual family that you're right. talking about. Yeah, no, um, that's, a, that's a really good point. So. One thing I would say is we have a lot of misconceptions about what you need in order to be able to work with kids uh, or teenagers. Um, and if you go back to that kind of prototype of the youth minister that I talked about to begin with, we think that's like that's what we have to have, and it's not what we have to have. The, the one thing that you really need is you need to care about students, and you need to be willing to show up in such a way that they realize that you care. Um, so even if that's, I mean, if you are someone who is, you know, older and you feel totally out of touch with what the lives of teenagers are today and you assume that they would want to have nothing to do with you, a great step would, for, for you would be to talk to a teenager after church on Sunday and just say, like, if you, if you don't know them, introduce yourself. If you do know them, just ask them a question about their family or how they're doing or you know, what, are your, what are your plans this summer? Or what grade are you in these, you know, what grade are you in now? Um, and probably that first conversation will be stilted and awkward and will not go great. And then do it again and again and just show up. Like even if it's something as simple as just showing up and talking to them in the foyer of your church building. Um, but again, this goes back to age segregation. Um, in a society that in many ways has kind of abandoned teenagers because we assume that's what they want. They are starving for adults who care about them enough to kind of step into their spaces and get to know them. Um, So that's one thing I would say. Like, so first off, if you want to get involved, if you care about teenagers, that's kind of the necessary ingredient. You don't have to be cool. you don't need a Facebook account. You don't need Instagram. a Facebook account. You don't. You don't need a Facebook account even if you do, if you, if you are cool and work yeah, with teenagers. Right. They're yeah. not on Facebook. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that ship has sailed a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, you don't need TikTok. You don't need uh, Snapchat. TikTok, like TikTok, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. You don't, you don't have to be super trendy. You just have to care about them. So that's one thing. Another thing I would say is um, sometimes... What I'm afraid of is that people will hear, he'll hear me talk or they'll read my book and then they'll like take it and go to their youth minister and be like, you're doing everything wrong. This guy, <laughs> this guy knows what he's talking about and you're doing it wrong. And I really don't want my book to be used that way. Um, overwhelmingly, I believe that youth ministers are people who care about kids and they want to help kids and they're doing the best that they know how. And either they haven't been trained better or they actually would like to do more, but they're in a church that expects them to do youth ministry mm. in a traditional way, or they feel like, um, like we talked about the traditional model, it's really hard in youth ministers, it burns them out, turns them up, spits them out, mm-hmm. but it's possible. For a short period of time, you can do it. You can take all the weight, you can plan all the trips, you can be the guy, you can do the thing, all the stuff, and you can do it. And you don't have to have help. 
or very minimal help. And that's why, it, that's why it destroys you, but you can do it. But what's really hard is if you try to do this model on your own, totally won't work. It will completely fail. It's literally impossible. And so you have to get help from a lot of people. And so there are some youth ministers who probably would love to do stuff like this, but they feel like they don't have the help. And so, um, you know, if, if you're at a church where you think that this sounds really good and it's not what you're doing, it might be good to have like a really honest but gracious conversation with your youth minister. Maybe they just haven't heard this other, uh, maybe they haven't, haven't heard the case being made and, and perhaps you could make that for them. Maybe they just don't feel empowered to do it. Maybe they tried to do something like this and they got pushed back from, you know, three families that said, well, if you do this, we're going to leave. Yeah. And, and elders said, well, if they leave, you're gone. You know, I mean, so, so th- who knows? There's, just, there's all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we should always assume, like, our people are just doing the best they can with what they have. So what can we do to uh, come alongside them and help them and give them support uh, to do something that we think maybe is is wiser and more biblical and will yield better results in terms of long-term faithfulness for our young people. Yeah. It seems like if you're, I mean, most youth ministers kind of go through this and feel it at some point, but if you come to them and it's like, Hey, I I read this, I'm kind of thinking about this. Like, how are you feeling? I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for your spiritual and physical health. And I want to know, is, is this on point? Like, is this what you're feeling too? And I want to be an, of, of aid to you. And it seems like if you can do that, probably you're going to get some buy-in with that guy. Like right. that person's yeah. going to go, oh, well, they care about me. Right. And they, they not only care about teenagers and wanting to do what's best for them, but they actually care about me as well. They don't want for me to feel the way that I feel that probably most youth ministers have felt at some point in their career. Right. Yeah. Just speaking from my own experience, I'm really interested in listening to suggestions from people who... A, have a relationship with me, and B, like, are willing to help me implement the suggestion mm-hmm. than some, rather than someone who just comes in and, like, drops a bomb and then leaves, you know? like Here's the book. Let's see it happen, Here's right? the book. I think you're terrible. Do better. <laughs> I'll check back with you in six months. You know, like, that's probably not going to yield the result that you want. Yeah. It's not going to be very, very helpful or successful. So, so yeah, I, I look, I, I believe strongly in the model. I mean, I really think that traditional youth ministry was something that was tried because we didn't know better. And now, at least if we're listening, we should know better and we should be trying to move on from it. It doesn't mean it's easy to change, but like most important things in life aren't easy, right? Like Mm -hmm. if it was easy, we would have been doing it already. Um, And so I would say this model in many ways is harder, but I think it is more biblical. I think that research indicates that it's more successful as well. Well, certainly there's a lot of biblical research going into this philosophy, but is there is there kind of a verse, passage, Bible story, Bible book at large that you would say kind of rises to the top that uh, you would say aligns with this philosophy at a whole that you lean on? Yeah, so um, I have an appendix in the book where I, I go through a lot of scriptures, a lot, and then there's, I, I kind of focus on a few scriptures in the book, and then there's an appendix where there's a lot more, but... Uh, from a, a physical family perspective, you might go back to like the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, where, where parents are given this task, like you've got to pass this on to your kids. Um, when, you, when you lie down, when you rise, when you walk along the way, this is just a part of what's supposed to happen. Um, also passages where, uh, and this is so fascinating to me, like when, when God gives instruction of the Passover feast, he's like, when you do this, your kids are going to ask you about it. Use the opportunity to tell them about your story and what God has done, which is just so, I mean, to me, that totally makes sense because every Sunday we do the, have this weird part of our worship service where we like get a little drink of juice and a little cracker. And if you're like a visitor or if you're like a little kid, you're like, what is this? And so mm-hmm. like those of us who have kids, like I think it's a universal experience. Like when our kids reach a certain age, they're suddenly aware and they're like, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and you could be like, shh, be quiet. Or you could take the opportunity to say, we do this because it reminds us that Jesus died for us on the cross and he, and he was, was raised from the dead and that changes everything. Um, and in the same way, that's what God says. You use these opportunities in life to, to talk about that. Um, so that's the physical family, faith family. There's just all sorts of passages that talk about things like when, uh, whether with Moses or Joshua, uh, God will want the, the law read 
And it specifically will say, assemble all the people, including the little ones. Like this is this mm. collective communal thing. It's not just for the adults. It's not just for those of the age of accountability. It's, mm. it's for everyone to be a part of this and to know what's going on. Um, and then certainly we've got instruction in the New Testament about kind of like uh, household co- codes where we talk about um, in, in, the fam- in the body of Christ, uh, the, the older women are to train the younger. Um, the young can be an example for the older uh, Paul tells Timothy. So it's it's very much intergenerational. It's not just one-sided. There's value for us all being together and learning from one another and the strengths of one another as we all hopefully are, are moving in the same direction as we try to follow Jesus. Um, so I guess you asked if there was one verse and I didn't give you one. I gave you no, that kind was, of several. that but, was exactly but, what I was saying. But there are <laughs> yeah. several principles yeah. there and it really just kind of goes on and on. Um, it's kind of shocking how many there are. And there's actually more that emphasize the importance of the faith family than the physical family, which is maybe surprising. But at the same time, Jesus does kind of reorient and he says, I'll tell you who my family is. My family are those who hear the will of God and they do it. Um, And so as we live a part of a kingdom that redefines even what family is, uh, the importance of the faith family is just paramount. And um, that's like maybe the one little bit of critique I would, like family ministry as a whole has has become very in vogue but a lot of times it's, it focuses a whole lot on the physical families and kind of doesn't focus so much on integration within the, the church as a whole. And I think they're both absolutely essential, and we see both in Scripture. Yeah, well, you can find those verses and more in the appendix of Youth and Family Ministry, a handbook. Uh, Luke, thanks for joining us today. Where can people find the book if they'd like to pick up a copy? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. Um, I was going to say, or like, or local bookstores, but it's not. It's it's on Amazon. <laughs> Amazon's the place to get it. If you know me, you can get it from me as well. But it's it's available on Amazon. Yeah. So we'll we'll put the link for that in the show notes, and you guys can check that out. Uh, if you have any questions for Luke or questions in general about life and faith and God, anything at all, send us an email to questions at wschurch.net. And uh, Luke, thank you for joining us yeah, today. Thank you so Appreciate much. it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Well, and we hope you guys all have a fantastic day.